following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. So good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be with you. Um, Eric, uh, when uh, I took him to Starbucks, it's not there anymore. They tore it down now on, on uh, I-10 right there at Bunker Hills where we met for that meeting. And he really didn't know what we were going to talk about. And, but when I shared with him uh, that I felt like the, the Lord might be calling him to be a part of our staff, the thing that he told me, it was married young adults, and the thing he told me, he said, if I could do anything, I would work with men. And um, God would see it fit that he came and did Marrying Adults and Men, and then we moved him into just men. Uh, and, uh, and as we worked through that, I remember telling him, I said, Eric, what God has put on your heart and what God's created, it is, it's easier to go find a Marrying Adult guy than a man guy. And um, he has done a great, great job. So thanks for being here, and um, here's the fruit of your, of, your, of your labor. So he's a great guy and a great friend, really proud of him. So... Thanks for being here. I'm so excited that, that uh, when um, Emily, Eric's uh, assistant, emailed me and asked me if I'd come share with you this t- today about a great man of faith. And so I'm going to go a little bit differently than, than, just like Eric said, as far as uh, kind of the biblical thing. We'll, we'll look at the Bible, I promise. Uh, but we did a study. We have a, a men's study on Tuesday mornings out at the ministry center in Cyprus, and it's called Fight the Good Fight. And so y'all had Warrior's Heart, so we kind of tried to do a little bit of a theme on that. So we got a, we got about 25 guys that come every week, and Ian Brew, our adult minister, he teaches that. And we spent a whole year going through First and Second Samuel. So we just we just looked at a great man of faith for a whole year, David. And so I thought about, oh, I'll do something from David, but I thought I'd do something and not steal something from Ian. So I read this book... Um, the la- over about a year and a half ago, called Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. And uh, it's by a guy named Eric Metaxas. And Eric is, uh, I didn't know who he was or anything, but now I really, really like him. And I've, I've read a lot of what, what he's written. But, but the book is about seven, uh, seven men that he's picked. And, uh, and as the title says, The Secret of Their Greatness. And one of those guys is, I'm going to share with... Um, with you today, and his name is Eric Little. That's how I'm going to say it. Eric Liddell, if you're from Slidell, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're not sure how to pronounce his name, but Eric Little. And if you don't know who he is, I'll, I'll kind of refresh your mind on that a little bit maybe. Um, and then if you do know who he is, then we'll, um, you'll, maybe you'll, you'll connect with that. And I thought it would be great to connect with, with Eric as well because he's a runner and Eric uh, Little is a runner too. So let me tell you a little bit about him. If you saw the movie in the 1980s, if you were alive, some of you weren't, but in the 1980s there was a movie that I think it was big, uh, the, the got best picture of the year called Chariots of Fire, and it was about this runner from Scotland, and his name was Eric Eric Little. Pretty amazing guy. Um, the the uh, He was a young Scottish runner. He electrified the world when he ran the 400-meter race. He won the 400-meter race in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Um, what was so inspiring was not that he just won the gold medal, but... but he won it after refusing to run his real, uh, his real race uh, that he was supposed to run and why he went to the Olympics, and that was the 100-meter the um, race, which is an amazing thing. And, and those, are, those are two different things. One is kind of middle distance, and one is, is, a, is, a, is a pure sprint. Um, and that was because those heats took place on a Sunday, and he, he refused to run out of his Christian principles on a Sunday at the Olympics, um, and because it was God's day, holy day, uh, it was the Lord's day. And so he was, he was a great man. So we're going to look at that um, 
today. Uh, in Eric's book, it says, So uh, little is remembered today for one reason. He's willing to make an almost impossible sacrifice, not only the greatest prize in sports, but also the chance to bring honor to his beloved country, not to mention fame, fortune, and glory to himself. What even Eric Little did not know until after the 100-meter race was won by Harold Abrahams was that the God who endowed the young Scott with outstanding athletic ability would bring glory to himself through Liddell's refusal to use these gifts at the very moment the world's eyes were on him. So sometimes it's not just what makes you great, what you do. Sometimes it's, not, it's, it's what you don't do um, as you're obedient as to what God calls you to do. So um, as would be fitting, you would think today, First uh, Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven comes to mind, and so uh, let me read that for you. Um, and and we're going to go into another passage as well. But it says, "Don't you know that the runners in a, are all in a stadium run a race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize." Now, everyone who competes, I'm gonna I'm gonna change a little bit right there because we're talking about Eric Little, and he's a he's a British guy, so that that just sounds real Texan and real Jason. Uh, to read that out of the, the Holman Christian Standard Version. So we're going to go to a little bit different version here. And uh, this might be more how Eric Little would, would, would talk. I'm not going to use an accent, but uh, I put it in print because it's King James Version. We don't talk like it. But this is what the verse that he would have read. Now ye not... See, I can't even say it. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as the one beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself shall be cast away. I'm glad we don't talk like that anymore. I'd never make it. I'd be the biggest hick in Britain that, that, that I'd ever seen. So, um, Eric didn't write that, but I'm sure he knew that verse. He knew Scripture in, incredibly well because he was, a, he was a man of faith, a man of God. Paul wrote that, and, uh, and Paul loved the picture of an athlete. And throughout Paul's letters, he speaks of this, this picture, this analogy, if you will, of the athlete, of the runner uh, in particular. That setting of that, that passage is in uh, Corinth. And so if you know anything about Corinth, it was, it was a really, really uh, seedy place. It was a, it was a really dark uh, place. Um, in fact, the phrase to Corinthianize was a word that, that they would use. Uh, it means to be engrossed in a lewd and sexually immoral lifestyle or prostitute, prostituted. So this was a society that, that Paul was, was speaking into uh, the lives of the, the, the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, God had, had pulled these believers out to himself, and, and so they're coming out of this kind of setting. And so he's talking about keeping your eye on the prize and being different and, and making a difference. Um, so Paul addressed the young and the staggering church in Corinth with some stinging remarks. In fact, the outlandish acts that were performed even within the body of Christ in that day make us shake our heads. Uh, but Paul did more than shake his head. He preached Christ and the Christ crucified. And, and Eric understood that. And we're going to continue to look uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, as, we, as we kind of move through. The charge that Paul starts out with in chapter 9, he says this, these things. Lots of runners. Mastery requires discipline. Some go for what's corruptible. We go for incorruptible. Go for the grander prize. 
uncertainty, aimlessly beating the air. He uses those words. So it'd be obvious if we really took this passage today as we talked about Eric Little as a runner. But I want to take a little different angle again. Uh, Paul comes back around in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians um, with an illustration um, that kind of bookends uh, th- this idea. And so that's where, um, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And it's in chapter 15 um, of uh, 1 Corinthians. And this is what he writes. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I think I have that up here. I don't do this very often either. There we go. Um, is that it? Yeah. Um, if you look at, at verse 58, the very beginning word, it's therefore. And uh, I think when, when Scripture says, you probably heard when there's the word therefore, it's therefore a reason. So what we typically do is we go back and we look at the, the context and what's, what's, what's being stated before because it has a direct uh, correlation to that and it's actually a result or a consequence or an action because of that. So let's, let's back up to verse 50, if you will, and I'll read that. I don't have this on the slide, but if you'll read it with me and then it'll give us some, a little bit of context for what he's saying there in verse 58. He writes, Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God and corruption cannot inherit corruption incorruption listen i'm telling you a mystery we will not all fall asleep but we will all be changed in a moment in the blink of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed for this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and the mortal is clothed with immortality Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, because of all that, because of what God did on on the cross through Jesus, therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That was his motivation. That was Eric Little's motivation. That was Paul's motivation was, was working, was what Christ crucified on the cross. Um, and so that's what uh, I'm going to go into and tell you that's why Eric Little was great. Okay, So three points as we look at um, verse 58 and kind of unpack that a little bit. And I'm going to use a lot of stuff out of seven men. So that's that's... Pretty much going to be my illustration this morning, just, just to warn you up front. So the first thing is, what made Eric Little great? The first thing is, Paul says to be steadfast and immovable. Steadfast and immovable. I looked up uh, that word, I googled uh, just synonyms, and these are some words that came up. Unwavering, unswerving, resolute, determined, firm, unshakable, adamant, unfailing, dogged, tenacious, inflexible, unyielding, unbending uncompromising, uh, obdurate, I think that's a word. Okay, thank you. I'm a simple guy. Obstinate, I've been called that, I know that is a word. And, and iron-willed, okay? So some of those come across and they have great connotations. The other ones sound a little bit negative uh, when they're, but I think when you, when you baptize them and you use them for, for the Lord's work, then it's a little different. So let me tell you a little bit. So 1923, uh, Eric uh, is, is a runner and he is 
is got this growing fame about him because people have heard how fast this this guy can run. In fact, they start calling him the Flying Scotsman after the famous train uh, because uh, because he was so fast. And because of that, there was a thing that he would get asked to speak. He would, he would share his testimony basically, and throngs of people would come to, to hear him speak. Um, and so more and more speaking engagements became available to him. Um, and uh, he wasn't a great speaker. He was naturally shy, uh, a little bit insecure in, in being up front, which is interesting. And, um, and because he was shy, he wasn't real passionate in his, in, in his presentation or uh, his oratory, um, uh, the, the way that he spoke. Uh, in fact, in, in uh, the book, it says this, but now he began to see the point when, when he was beginning to be asked to speak more and more. He was suddenly tremendously grateful for his rare gift, and that was the gift of running. As he later put it, my whole life had been one of keeping out of public duties, but the leading of Christ seemed now to be in the opposite direction, and I shrank from going forward. At this time, I finally decided to put it all on Christ. After all, if he had called me to do it, then he would have to supply the necessary power. And in going forward, the power has given me. Or the power was given me. He, he, he became what was shakable and movable. He became uh, unshakable and, and uh, steadfast and immovable. He began to meet with, with some guys at Oxford. Um, uh, and they, uh, they began discipling each other, and they came up with what they, they decided that they would live by these four absolutes. I've got that on your note-taking guide there. And this is what the absolutes were, and they committed to live. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. Honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. And then the word absolutely in front of it. Guys, I'm not absolutely any of those for about two minutes of the day. As I read those, I'm like, if that's what, if that's what greatness is, and those are the things we commit to, that, that's, that's incredible, uh, kind of an, an incredible goal out there to, to live. Of course, we can't live any of those absolutely, um, and Christ can do that in us. Part of that, that process is he met with those guys at, at Oxford, and they committed to live a life of those four absolutes, was that he, he learned and established in his life early on, basically having a quiet time every day. And he did that literally until the last day of his life. Again, absolute love, um, absolute devotion, if you will, to Christ as he continued in his walk with him. There's a scene from Chariots of Fire, um, uh, and it's a race, and it's a place called Stoke-on-Trent. They just have great names over there. I mean, we've got Katie, Cypress, you know, whatever, Pasadena. We got, they got Stoke-on-Trent. And uh, it was a quarter-mile race, and uh, if you saw the movie or know the story, he, he was knocked out of the blocks literally as, as the gun went off. So he's in the blocks, he comes up, and he's accidentally knocked, uh, knocked, um, knocked out. And he ends up being 20 yards behind uh, at the outset of the race. But he runs and he passes every runner to win the race. Amazing, amazing feat. Uh, so he didn't just get up and, and give up. Uh, but this is what happened. It says, but Eric Little is the classic example of someone whose faith was not only at, not, not at odds with the will to win, but also indeed and on the contrary was a tremendous boon to it. His competitive instinct as evidenced in this one race was simply unparalleled because he desired to use his athletic gifts to glorify God and because he knew that his winning gave him an opportunity to speak about God to men who otherwise might not be all interested in the subject. Running and winning had an eternal purpose. 
Those two things, running and winning, eternal purpose. Because he was not merely running for himself, uh, Little was able to summon powers that sometimes seem miraculous even to avowed skeptics. After the famous race, when some of the astonished onlookers asked him how he managed to win, Liddell again seized the opportunity to publicly glorify God. He reportedly replied, the first half I ran as fast as I could. The second half I ran faster with God's help. Steadfast and immovable. So all that being said, when Eric heard that his heat would be on a Sunday for the upcoming Olympics that he qualified for, 1924 Olympics in Paris, he did not hesitate in making the decision that he wouldn't run on that day. He would abide by his commitment. He'd be immovable to his commitment to not run on, on the Lord's day of that conviction he had. Sunday was to be a day of worship and rest, a day set apart, as we're told, and he firmly believed that. Running the Olympics on that day was out of the question, and Eric couldn't compromise on what he believed God had commanded. Even though he'd faced a lifetime um, of, of put-down and um, craziness in people's minds for his decision that day, his desire was to glorify God and to obey God. You hear immovable and steadfast in that. And the results of these Olympics and in the future of his life were in God's hands. Um, let me read you uh, kind of a lengthy quote um, that, that, uh, that's pretty amazing, but just stay with me. I decided to read it because it's much easier than to, to tell it. So he finds out that he, uh, he's not going to, uh, to be able to run. And uh, he says, uh, there were more bad news for Little. When the six finalists drew the lanes for the 400-meter final that evening. So what happens, he didn't, he didn't end up running the 100, but they, he would run the 400, okay? Again, so it's a middle-distance race instead of a, a sprint. He hasn't run it before, but he's going to run it in the Olympics, okay? Uh, when the six finalists drew lanes for the 400-meter final that evening, Eric drew the outside lane, widely considered the worst possible position. I have two runners in my family, Harrison and Preston, my kids, and uh, they'll bow to those same things. They're middle and long-distance long distance runners. This was because the runner in the outermost lane started the race far in front of his opponents, unable to see them and compare his progress to theirs. So there wasn't anyone to see to keep up with. They were, they were behind you. Um, given that this race was hardly the be- his best event, given that Fitch had outperformed him earlier that day with a world record, and given that Liddell... Uh, had already tired himself in two earlier races that day, Eric's lane position seemed to put the final nail in the coffin of his chances of winning any kind of medal for Scotland. But Eric was not one to fret. His perspective was quite different from the norm, and his ultimate goal was not to merely win his race or even to compete, but to glorify God. And what the other runners, the crowds, the coaches, and the fans listening to the games on radios did not know uh, was that Eric had that morning received a reminder of this. As he left his hotel that morning, a British masseur pressed a folded piece of paper in his hand. Little thanked the man for it and said he would read the message later. In his dressing room at the stadium, Little, uh, Little unfolded the note and read the following. It says in the old book, Him that honors me, I will honor. Wishing you the best of success always. The old book to which this was preferred, of course, is the Bible. And the quotation from 1 Samuel 2.30, Receiving the note deeply touched Eric. As he said a few days later at a dinner in his honor, it was perhaps the finest thing I experienced in Paris. Listen to this. He wins the Olympics. Yet he says, receiving that note is perhaps the finest thing I experienced in Paris. A great surprise and a great pleasure to know there were others who shared my sentiments about the Lord's day. Another man who played a role in encouraging Eric that day was a fellow Scot, Philip Christensen, 
the leader of the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders. In the moments before Liddell's race began, the regiment's bagpipers played at least a part of the rousing Scotland the Brave. It was a tune and an instrument that would stir the blood of any patriotic Scotsman. I read that, I just want to put on a kilt. It's like, go breathe Braveheart or something. It's like... It's crazy. As the runners took their places on the track for the race, Eric, in his typical gentlemanly way, shook the hands of his competitors and wished them well. Moments later, the starting pistol fired, and the men were off. In the stands was Harold Abrahams, who knew something about racing. He was immediately upset to see that Little, unable to see the other runners, had a blistering pace as though he were running the 100 and not the 400. So he comes out, and he is full on, okay? While pacing... Uh, was not an, uh, was a non-issue in the 100-meter. It was a vital component component to the 400-meter. Abrahams could see that uh, what Little could not and that he had begun way too fast and would not be able to keep up the pace. But Little kept it up longer than Abrahams expected. Halfway through the race, he was still ahead of by three meters. Although it certainly wasn't possible to continue at the blistering pace, somehow Eric continued. Back in Edinburgh, seven miles away, er, or 700 miles away, Eric's roommate, George Graham Cunning, listened to the event on a homemade radio, jumped up and shouted to the announcer's words as he heard them in the earphones. They've cleared the last curve. Little is still leading. He's increasing his lead. Increasing and increasing. Oh, what a race. Increasing? How can that be? But as the runner entered the last 100 meters of the race, that's precisely what took place. And then in the final stretch, Eric went into this odd, familiar, end-of-the-race running style, head thrown back, Mouth open, arms pounding in the air. Moments later, Eric crossed the finish line. He had won the race. Not only did he win, but he beat, up, beat his nearest competitor by the unfathomable distance of five meters. Abraham, uh, Harold Abrahams and anyone else who knew something about the 400 meter were quite agog at what they'd witnessed. The stadium exploded, crowd exploded with joy, many of them madly waiting, waving Union Jacks. Eric Little had just won the gold medal for the UK and for Scotland. A few moments later, his time of 47.6 seconds was announced. It was a new world record. Again, the crowd exploded. Sixty years later, uh, in 1984, the American uh, runner Fitch recalled the event. I had no idea he would win it. Our coach told me not to worry about Little because he was a sprinter and he'd pass out after 50 yards before the finish. And Fitch's coach should have been correct. After all, that was what logic dictated must happen. Instead, as Fitch recorded in his Olympic diary, though a sprinter by practice, Liddell ran the pick of the world's quarter-milers off their feet. Few people remember that the 100-mile-meter race was not the only race from which Eric dropped out because it would have required his participation on Sunday. He also gave up running in the 4x100-meter relay and 4x400-meter relay races. When those events were being uh, run on the Sunday Following Sunday, July 13th, Liddell was nowhere near the Olympic Stadium. He was in the pulpit at the Scots Kirk in Paris, preaching to a large and admiring audience. Amazing man. Immovable. That, that's immovable. Steadfast in his decisions um, to, to do what the Lord, and then to see the Lord uh, blesses that. The movie Cherry to Fire ends with Liddell crossing the finish line. Um, and we're told that he, and we're told in the movie that he becomes a missionary uh, to China, and that he died in 1945, and all of Scotland uh, mourned. And that's kind of how the movie ends. Uh, if you've seen the movie, it's a great movie. My my two boys are runners, like I said, and so when I read this, I, I rented it. I'm like, let's watch this, and it was a lot slower than I remember in 1980. <laughs> they were like, Dad, um, there's not much excitement. I'm like, it is a very slow-paced movie, but. Yeah, but it's still good. You know, you hear that music, and you still, it still makes me want to go run for about two minutes. Um, but the truth is that the second half of Eric's life 
was even even more dramatic than the first, and even more, I think, a, uh, what, what started out as being uh, steadfast and immovable, as Paul writes in uh, verse 58, um, is even seen in the, in the second part of his life. And so, uh, steadfast and immovable. Second point is it's always excelling in the Lord's work. Always excelling in the Lord's work. Real quick before I go, my son Preston, he's a sophomore now, but he, uh, he decided to run cross country as a ninth grader, and it was hilarious. His first, no, maybe this is eighth grade, I can't remember. His first cross country race, he was so excited and so nervous that he, he came, I remember uh, at the field, you know, they line up. If you've ever been to a cross country meet, they usually start at the end of a football field with tons of kids, and then by the time, you know, they kind of filter down into this, this kind of thing. Well, he was out of the, the shoot, if you will, first. I mean, he was, he's all legs, too. His, his like, torso is this long, and his legs is the rest. So he was running as fast as he could, and, and Harrison, my other son, who really is, is the runner, he's like, he's going too fast, he's going too fast. He started out, he was in first, he was smiling, he came in dead last. <laughs> and he was so disappointed. He was like, I don't know what happened. We're like, it's called pace. Um, so anyway... So point two, uh, always excelling in the Lord's work. Therefore, my dear brothers, and that's you and me, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. If you're going to be, be a, a, have a warrior's heart, then uh, and, and following after Christ, it involves excelling in the Lord's work. Following his stunned Olympic victory, um, Liddell stunned the world again when he announced his plans to stop running altogether, literally right after that, and to become a missionary to China. And what seemed very strange to most people was very uh, normal to him, and it was only logical. He grew up as a missionary kid in China and felt called back to China. And so he ends up going to China. He goes there and he teaches science and, and math and sports at the Anglo-Chinese College in, uh, in China there. Uh, Metaxas says, It took the Olympic Games to teach Eric that God intended to use his phenomenal athletic ability to bring people to him, and it took Eric's refusal to run on Sunday sacrificing an almost certain gold medal that taught the world there was no hypocrisy in this now world-famous Christian follower. The principles that he stood by to run are the same principles that he stood by and showed the world that, uh, that he would be obedient to God's calling or whatever. So he's in, he's in um, China and in 1936. The Olympics are 1924. In 1936, uh, Japan was engaging um, in acts of aggression uh, against China. And so all, the whole world is brewing up for, for what's to come with, uh, with the war. Uh, March 1943, so seven years later, the final blow is struck there in China. And all of the foreigners are, are basically... Uh, put in train cars, and uh, they're, they're seen as foreigners, anybody that's a foreigner, and they're taken into uh, internment camps. And um, so he goes, and he lives in this basically uh, a concentration camp, if you, if you will. Horrible, deplorable conditions. Um, he becomes this uh, amazing man and minister in this place. He brings incredible hope, uh, incredible joy, he, he's the one that brings uh, recreation and fun. He he's basically becomes a chaplain to this, this internment camp that he's, that he's there. They end up calling him Uncle, Uncle Eric, and his, his, his mission and his call to missionary life totally switched. It, was what, it wasn't what he thought about. It was teaching math and sports, but it was, it was being a missionary within that, uh, that internment camp. Um, people loved him. He, uh, he had an incredible, uh, incredible impact. In fact, there's a story of a guy named Stephen Metcalf. He was 17 in 1944, and uh, he, um, 
Eric saw him and saw that he literally had holes in the bottom of his shoes. He had no soles in his shoes. And so one day, uh, Eric came to him and brought something wrapped up in a cloth. And uh, he said, Steve, I see that you have no shoes and it's winter and perhaps you can use these. And he pushed this bundle of um, paper to Steve and he opened up and it was his shoes that he ran the race in that he won in the Olympics. What could have been probably what he was saving as a memento of an incredible world-changing experience to him, he was willing to give up um, in that, that mode. Again, he was always excelling in the Lord's work. He saw the Lord's work as far as even going to, to be a missionary and then uh, adapted to the context where God put him to ex- and, and excelling, always excelling, not just one time, not just sporadic, but, but it's that same, same word almost as absolutely, uh, those four absolutes uh, that, that is, is, is kind of a, a superlative or the max, if you will, in that, that same thing is always excelling. He looked for ways to work for the Lord and to minister to people. So therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. And then lastly, knowing uh, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I can't imagine being in those conditions and thinking, am I, am I making any kind of difference? But he had the hope. He had the hope of, of, of Christ crucified, of the truth of verses 50 through 57 of, of that, that, that passage there. Death has swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your, uh, has swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It was that realization and that truth that he understood that he could live out and continue and know that what he was doing, even in, in, a, in a, a camp in China, internment camp, where all hope is lost, knowing that he's making a difference for Christ, um, had to be incredible. He, he ended up marrying a lady. Uh, she spent most her life with their, their children in Canada. Um, the last letter he wrote to her was the last day of his, his life, and he said, I think I've had, um, I'm having a nervous breakdown and he ended up dying that day, and it wasn't a nervous breakdown. Actually, he had a brain tumor. And so he died in a camp in China of a brain tumor. Olympic gold medalist, fastest runner to that point uh, in history. A pretty amazing thing. He was 43 years old. He closed the, they closed the camp the day of his funeral, and the, the church there couldn't hold all the people. Uh, one of the ladies there that was a prisoner of war, her name was Joyce Strength. She said, He made Christ's life so relevant and made it feel like we who follow Christ must do what He asked us to do. He, meaning the Lord, ask us to do when we're in the situation we're in. Again, it's that, it's that uh, labor in the, in the, uh, laboring in the Lord that it's not in vain. Lord Sands, an Edinburgh civic official, a leader, he honored Liddell that day at his funeral, and he said this, there are, no, there are greater issues in life than sport, and the greatest of these is loyalty to the great laws of the soul. Here's a young man who considered the commandment to rest and worship high above the, late, the fading laurel crown and who conquered it. It is St. Paul, the tent maker of Tarsus, who watched the Olympic Games many centuries ago and said, they who run a race... Uh, run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Immovable, always excelling in the God, in the Lord, Lord's work, laboring in the Lord. That sounds like a difference maker to me. And as Pastor Greg leads us this year, as far as what does a difference maker look like, and as as we uh, as men who want to follow the Lord and want to make a difference, 
Um, I think this is a great passage to lay out before us as the, as the goal. Um, to be steadfast and immovable. I'm not very steadfast, and I'm very immovable. I'm a wuss. Don't repeat that. Take that off the thing. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I look, whether it's the Lord's work or whether it's being a dad or being a husband or what leading the church, whatever it is, there are days where I'm just, there's, I'm everything but immovable and everything but steadfast. And I feel like what I'm doing is in vain and I'm not excelling. I feel like I'm, I'm de-selling, if, that, if that's a word. But then, as, as, as a follower and a believer of Christ, I go back to those verses of the basis of the therefore and that's, that, that's where we find the power and the source um, through Christ crucified and our relationship with him to be immovable and steadfast, always excelling and knowing that what we do is not in vain. One more point of, on the immovable thing. 63 years after Eric's death, so just before the Beijing Olympics, not too long ago, the Chinese government revealed something that Eric's family didn't even know. The Chinese government um, had made a deal between uh, Japan and Great Britain that they would do a, a basically a prisoner swap. And Eric was the prisoner to swap, and he, he forwent that and allowed a pregnant, young pregnant woman to be released. That's immovable, folks. He had the opportunity to be released and go be with his wife and his family and continue on a life. And he gave that up. Pretty powerful. Last quote here. Eric's running style. There's a, there's a picture on here that Eric, uh, not Eric Little. He is like Eric Little, though. They find it. If you look here on the picture on the left, he had, and it referred to this in one of the quotes, he, he had this peculiar running style, if you will. He had arms flailing like uh, windmills and knees pumping high. Um, I don't know if y'all, if you've been around a long time, oh, where'd it go? There you go. Yeah, he's, he's running in the woods there. There's a Sasquatch following him. You can just see the trees that are being knocked down by the Sasquatch. There you go. So there he is on the left. He's right too, but he's just standing, being cool. Um, I always think of, uh, some of you were around a long time ago, but when we, when we did Metro, I've been on staff 20 years, but when we used to do Metro a long time ago for singles, we had a speaker named Dave Edwards. Anybody know who he is besides Eric? Okay, y'all will, hopefully you'll get this, but he, he would run sometimes. Do you remember him running, like, across the stage? And all I picture is this. I mean, it was the most goofy thing I've ever seen in my life. Don't let him hear this either, but... Um, anyway, Eric had this, this peculiar running style um, that as he approached the finish line, he'd throw his head back and his arms would flail and he'd open his mouth wide. Um, again, not, not real orthodox. So um, odd and unorthodox as the style was, his coach apparently didn't ever attempt to get Eric to run in a more conventional manner. It was almost as if he was throwing back his head. Eric had to rely totally on God to direct him to the finish line because he couldn't see it himself. When we can't see the finish line, God knows what the finish line is, and he's, he's leading us if we'll, if we'll continue to seek him and follow him. Closing the words of St. Paul, 
They who run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run, guys, that you may obtain. Okay? I got a couple of questions for you, just three there for you to talk about. Um, not a whole lot of personal application for me or illustration today. Um, I really wanted to focus on him um, because he is a great man of faith. But this is where it kind of meets, the rubber meets the road with y'all and where you can look at these questions. And so how, does, uh, how do these three things apply? Being steadfast and movable, always excelling, and then knowing that your work is not in vain. So y'all want to talk around your tables here? Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day. Your heart's in love, the healer set you free inside.